Howdy. Welcome to another episode of Canon Calls. This week, I have the opportunity to talk to a good friend of mine, Brian Phillips. But before we get started, I wanted to point you guys towards our social media pages for Canon Classics. So if you have Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, please go like and follow those pages. We'll have more and more announcements coming soon about some merchandise, updates on our Canon Classics books and worldview guides, and the addition of new authors. So without further ado, meet Brian Phillips. Sweet. All right. Welcome to another episode of Canon Calls. This week, we get to interview a good friend of mine, Brian Phillips. He is, uh, he does all the things. He's a pastor. He saves lives now. Uh, he's a husband and a parent. Do you do other things? You do more than that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm also, uh, I, I teach some at, uh, Belmont Abbey College outside of Charlotte here. And, uh, also, I'm still uh, I'm working with the Cersei Institute for the last six years, um, mainly helping out with um, consulting and training resources. Yep. Okay. And then, so you Lots of things. you live in North Carolina? Yes. Yep. We're, uh, we, well, our family lives in a small town uh, called Albemarle, right outside of Charlotte. Okay. And you, you are a pastor at Trinity Reformed Church? Uh, Holy Trinity. Okay. Yeah, Holy Trinity Reformed. Um, our our church started as a mission of Christ Church in Cary, and uh, which was a mission of Christ Church in Moscow, I believe. Okay. And um, yeah, we've been there since two thousand eight, and I've been honored to be the pastor from from day one. So I've been there uh, a little over eleven years. Awesome. And so I want to get into all the the cool stuff you're doing, not only at Cersei and other things like that, but how did you get involved? So you're a you're, uh, you just mentioned you're a pastor at Holy Trinity. Circe uh-huh. is a think tank type place for the classics. Uh, we're a research institute, so just trying to produce resources and and um, create resources for homeschooling parents, for uh, classical school teachers, for headmasters, just anything we can do to support classical educators. Awesome. So about that, so with classical school educators, what what does a what does a pastor at Holy Trinity have to do with that kind of project? Well, uh, that's a good question. Um, I I think that the two um, work together perfectly. Um, I I see my work in education as an extension of who I am and my calling as a pastor. Um, and if you know, if the purpose of of classical education is to cultivate wisdom and virtue, um, then then that obviously dovetails nicely with with my calling as a pastor right. to you know to uh, to teach the scriptures, to proclaim the truth, and uh, to model living it out and lead others to to do the same, and uh, that ends up uh, fitting quite well. You know the the specific topic, you know the specific content might be different in a in a classroom you know i've taught history i've taught literature i've taught latin um but um you know so the content is different than it would be in the pulpit but the aim the purpose is is the same 
um, you know, calling people to um, to Christ, who is our wisdom, you know, who who is virtue. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it, it works well together. I mean, it's kept me busy, uh, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes busier than I'd like to be at times, but but the work itself definitely works. Uh, growing up, did was the classics already an interest? Oh, no, not really. Um, I always, I always loved stories because I'm human. Um, but <laughs> it's I, a good pre- it is a, it is a fundamental yeah, prerequisite. Another detail about me yeah. for the okay. listeners out there. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I, I always loved reading. Um, but no, I, the classics, particularly as far as, you know, what I wanted to, to pursue, professionally or anything that was that wasn't really on the map i um always wanted to go into emergency medicine um and i mean from the time i was you know a little guy my plan was go into the military um let them help pay for my for medical school sure. and, you know wanted to be a combat medic and then come out and and do more emergency medicine so i've always loved the science um of that as well but um uh, I, I jokingly say God ruined my plans as a teenager. Um, you know, I, I did not grow up in a, um, covenantal Christian home. So I had a, uh, I was converted on kind of a Damascus road type of way. Um, and so when I became a Christian, um, it w- wasn't that long after that I began, uh, to very clearly detect, um, a call to, pastoral ministry or ministry of some kind. And that was confirmed by, you know, our pastor and so on. They were, you know, they were praying with me about it. And, um, and so the plans to go into emergency medicine kind of, kind of derailed. Um, and I ended up education wise, uh, went into college to essentially a Bible college to study scripture and pastoral, uh, pastoral studies. And then that from there went into seminary and, um, I've got, you know, a couple of seminary degrees, but, um, I ended up in education and working in the classics because, um, when I went into one of the uh, first opportunities I had to serve in pastoral ministry, we had a small Christian school there and, um, I was kind of thrust very, very young into helping out with the school. And so, I began to uh, look into the, you know, what is the best way to actually provide a Christian education. And um, long story short, it's nothing short of just divine providence. Um, I ended up on the mailing list somehow of Veritas Press. Um, Still don't know how. I mean, this was not a classical school by any means um, (laughs) that I was in at the time. And it was sent to me by name, you know, again, no idea. Never heard of Veritas Press at the time. So I started reading some of the articles, you know, in those old, the big print catalogs they would send out. Right. Um, and ran across uh, some things by Doug Wilson and um, and others um, and ordered some of their books, you know, the the case for Christian and classical education, yeah. uh, excuse, you know, excused absence, things like that. And um, And that just, man, that threw me down the rabbit hole. Um, that led to all kinds of other reading and, you know, the rest is, the rest is history, I guess, you know, I was, I was offered a a job teaching in a classical school, uh, sometime after that, um, a couple years after that, uh, and that brought us back to this area, 
of North Carolina, which is close to where my wife and I both grew up. Right. So here we are. So did you feel, even at the time, you said you were kind of thrust into the position early on. Did you feel Mm -hmm. the, um, like, were you someone who thought, I want to be in Christian education? Like, education must be Christian. You know, we have to find a way to integrate these things. Or was it kind of just a, maybe a societal good, like everybody Mm -hmm. kind of goes, how was it for you in terms of how you thought about education in your faith? At that point, I was I saw it as a necessity. Um, I mean, I I grew up in all through grammar school. I went to Catholic school. Um, oh wow! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just and I <laughs> and I um, I I can look back now and see that that was a tremendous benefit, tremendous blessing for me educationally, um, as far as you know, giving me tools to learn. Um, but becoming a Christian as a teenager gave me enough to look back on to where I, I, I look at public schools with eyes wide open. Hmm. You know, I know what it was like then, you know, I'm 41 now that was in the, that was in the nineties, early nineties. Um, and I know what it was like then. I mean, I know what I was like then, you know? And so, uh, when I became a Christian, I, I had a very strong convictions that, you know, Christian education is a necessity. Um, it's, it's not a luxury. It's a necessity. Mm-hmm. It's a requirement, um, for Christian parents really. Um, and, and I know that's a big statement, but there it is. It's your <laughs> podcast. Um, it's November. So we're all about this kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I I knew that it was something we needed to be involved in, in involved in. I knew that as a pastor at the time, this was a a good thing, a necessary thing for us to be doing. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I knew that I did not know what I was getting into, and so <laughs> right, um, you know, I mean, but I I thought, um, you know, it's 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 better to um, learn on the job and better to fail trying to do the right thing than fail by doing nothing at all. Right. So, um, so your so. Veritas, uh, it was more of like a classical Damascus road experience. It was more, you were just getting clarity on like how we should go about doing this. Yeah. I, I mean, I went into it, you know, I was looking for resources just to figure out how we should run our school. I was not banking on, um, <laughs> a whole new, way of viewing Christian education. Right. Uh, which is, which is what I ended up with. And, and I'm, you know, still learning that and still growing in that. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's what started it all. And, um, you know, now, um, my, my wife and I were both teaching for years together in the same school. Um, now, uh, we, we're blessed to be able to homeschool our four kids and, you know, I'm, I'm still teaching, uh, at a college level now and, and teaching with Cersei. Um, but you know, ab- absolutely it's, it's a necessity and, um, something that I think is, is a perfect extension of the church and something that the church should be more involved in and pastors should be more involved in. That's one, one thing I will say about, um, classical education that, that I really rejoice in is seeing how many pastors are involved. Yeah. Um, there seems to be a growing number and I, I think that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Do you, I mean, any thoughts on that? Like any, what do you think as a pastor doing it, do you think 
is there something attractive in terms of uh, like, <laughs> is it a schedule thing? Like what about it is attractive to pastors mm-hmm. to get involved uh, in something like that? Well, I don't know if it's a schedule thing. I mean, it, pastors, um, I'm speaking in big general terms here, but of course. you know, a lot of us have, have flexible schedules in that, you know, if, if you're the, the pastor of a church, then, then, um, you do have the the luxury of being able to, to set your schedule in a sense. Um, sure. Now, of course, you're, I was you're only getting, on, I didn't mean, call. I didn't mean to, uh, Oh. <laughs> I wasn't like grilling you. I was just kidding. <clears throat> no, no. I, but I think that's a good point, and and I think pastors sometimes, you know, pastors who might resist being involved in education might it, the problem might be the way that they're viewing their own availability, right. the way they're viewing their own schedule. Um, but I think too that um, you know, theology being the queen subject, right? Right. Um, if a pastor has has been a diligent student in preparing himself for pastoral ministry, then he, he should have a lot to offer in the other areas as well. I don't want to call them subjects, but in the other, in the other arts and the other disciplines, he, he should have a lot to offer to, uh, the church, um, you know, capital C, you know, whether it's through his own congregation or not, but, um, as far as schooling goes. So, yeah, it seems like the ultimate exercise in, in practically, um, putting all things under the reign and rule of Christ. Mm-hmm. That integration mm-hmm. point of like, uh, I think so. I, I didn't know anything about the classical world. Uh, I grew up in public school. If everybody on this podcast can already tell, has told, you know, they knew from episode one, this is a public <laughs> school kid. Um, but I, I got to college and what they did for an associates was sort of a, a classical associates, maybe. Uh, we had an integrated curriculum, so it was basically we had three lectures a week on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and they gave us the read. You know, we had the reading schedule, and it was all over the map. Um, there was no siloed classes, so we didn't have philosophy at this time, and then history at this time, right. and then literature. Is basically we had a ton of reading all over the map, and then we didn't even really know what the lecture would be on, but it was actually just a. It was a real. Like I was saying, just an exercise in how do you, God was telling the story in real time, philosophy, Mm -hmm. literature, history is all moving at the very same time. And do we have the ruts in our mind to think about that kind of thing? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a great format. It's a great way to do it. Um, And, you know, as I, I think teaching people how to navigate through that. I mean, you're what you basically described is is learning how to read well and learning how to think. Right. Um and and those are um those are disciplines that as Christians we we have to be able to to master and we, we have to be able to think well, we have to be able to reason, we have to be able to um to follow an argument, um uh to to know ideas and their consequences to know the the flow of an idea of how it gets from one place to the next in a culture and even in our own minds. And, um, so yeah, it, it all fits together. And, and two, just kind of going, taking a step back from what I was saying about, um, this work as a pastor. Um, when I, when I look at the kids in our congregation and we've, we've tried to do 
several things and we're, we're coming back to hopefully uh, do more in the coming months for uh, the families in our church um, as far as education goes. Um, and when I look at um, all of the little kids in our church and, and we're, the adults are just, we're outnumbered. Um, you know, I hope they never, if they learn to organize, we're, <laughs> we're in trouble. Um, but they're not as strategic in their thinking yeah. yet. Um, so, um, but when I look, when I look at them and I think I'm, I'm feeding, you know, the moral imagination, I'm, I'm helping them learn to read. I'm helping them learn to follow a story. I'm trying to help them cultivate wisdom and virtue and love the Lord, their God, you know, with heart, soul, mind, and strength, love their neighbors themselves. And then I, it'd be easy for me to think of all the other stuff that I have to do too, but what, what better thing could I be doing, you know, as a pastor than investing myself in, in those, those kids and, and those families? I mean, it's a wonderful thing. Right. And even just seeing that that's your domain also, I mean, I think with, um, you know, I was never explicitly taught churches over here, you know, you, right. you have youth group, but like school is its own domain. And as far as I knew, like I knew that when I went into science class, you know, it was time to make a stand because creation too. Um, right. But then right. I could go to my AP psychology class and just be like, yeah, anything Freud says. Um, right. And, you know, I was never explicitly taught that, that God had nothing to do with that. But even just, you know, as you said, loving the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind and soul and strength, you know, thinking, what does God think of Freud? And then when I go to literature, mm -hmm. what does God think of Fitzgerald's Gatsby? Um, mm -hmm. You know, that kind of exercise uh, and even just the assumption that you mentioned, you assume as a pastor, that's also under your domain, too. Obviously, maybe not yeah. explicitly. You're not going to open up you know, Gatsby's, you know, on Sunday, but it's not, right. it's not unrelated. But yeah, very true. Very true. It may not be the specific appropriate context, but <laughs> it's still, but it's still related. Right. You know, it falls somewhere under the umbrella. You know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Um, okay. And then that leads us, you, you ended up at Cersei. Yeah. Um, I actually, uh, Andrew Kern is the president of the Cersei Institute, and I taught uh, four of the five Kern children um, at Covenant Classical School for years, um, and so that's how I that's how I met uh, Andrew and his wife Karen. Taught on the same faculty with me for years, and um, so became became friends over that time, and then. You know, eventually I, I I taught at the school for nine years, and um, Andrew asked me to to come on and work with him at Cersei, and been here for the last uh, six plus years, six and a half, um, and um, it's been great. Yes, yeah, so as you're the Cersei Academy, uh, your headmaster of Cersei Academy, director, yeah, director we're of consulting. We're, yeah, yeah, it's kind of we're um, my. Uh, as is typical, you know, in a, in a smaller kind of organization that, that deals with, you know, producing ideas and resources and, um, uh, kind of like, I mean, like what you guys do at, at Canon, I mean, you're, um, the job evolves a bit, yep. um, yep. you know, just kind of changes with necessity and it changes with ideas. And, um, so now, um, I'm, I'm more kind of directing, what I guess we call training resources. So, you know, the webinars that we do, the 
short-term intensive classes we offer, even some year-long classes. But but I've also been involved in some writing projects and um, producing books for homeschooling parents and and teachers to use in the classroom. So um, that's uh, it's kind of changed a little bit um, over time. But yeah, working closely with schools and um, resources for homeschoolers. Um, recently, I, uh, the webinars that we do, we do like a uh, literature webinar once a month and a training webinar once a month, and that's that's taken a lot of um, a lot of my attention. Um, that's been a lot of fun, though. Get to talk about all kinds of stuff. You just did a Dostoevsky um, one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Brothers Karamazov. Okay. Um, we're kind of uh, that's a series called Ninety Minutes with the Classics, and we're we're going through. Um, it was it was inspired by. Um, Louise Cowan and Oz Guinness's book, um, Invitation to the Classics, okay. um, which tragically is out of print now, um, but basically giving people uh, an introduction to these great works of literature that, um, you know, sometimes sometimes people are a little intimidated diving into some of them and then, um, you know, or there's so many books that we feel like we are supposed to read, you know, we know we're supposed to read them but don't really know if we want to sure. or how to get started or whatever. So um, we're trying to just make make uh, the great works a little bit more accessible and extend, uh, extend a hand to, to get people started in reading some of these great works. So we've got, um, we did the Brothers Karamazov and now uh, let's see, we had Romeo and Juliet was last month and uh, coming up this month, uh, Matt Bianco is doing one on Aristophanes' Clouds. Okay. Um, so that one should be a lot of fun too. Um, now you've done a guide to the Iliad, a uh, guide to mm-hmm. the Odyssey. Uh, you were an editor, I assume, on Tales of Wonder. What... Yes. And then yeah. you've done something for us, right? Meditations of Marcus Two. Aurelius. Yeah. Um, and, well, yeah, another one coming up. And uh, Dante. Uh, all three, right? right. Uh, just the inferno. Okay, just the inferno. We were like, hold yeah. your horses, you know. Don't right. don't think right. you've got purgatory and. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to earn that. Yeah, everybody <laughs> reads the inferno first. Oh, okay. See, yeah. wow. You get it. Yep. Get it. Yep. This. See, that's why Some I think of my better work. Jake. I was gonna, stick with me. I was gonna say, I was just about to ask you why you know why is it important for folks to get into classics, but I think so that you can make classics like dad jokes. Could be exactly. top 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 tier reason, such uh, as earning. It's high on my list. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> so you obviously think those classics are important. Um, I assume that you think they're important beyond just kids in school. Um, mm-hmm. With those webinars, I mean, how many adults would you say are you, like the percentage of kids and adults? Oh man, it's it's ninety percent adults. So. You <laughs> right, so you obviously think that's important. What, how ought we as Christians to orient ourselves to the classics? Like, is it how important is it? Very. That's um, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I think uh, you know, there's the classics. Um, the, of course, you could define them differently, but but good stories, good books, um, uh, give you give you a way of, of seeing yourself and seeing the world that, uh, is normally hard for you to have just on your own. Um, I know C.S. Lewis talked a lot about this, um, in his, so in the, 
introduction that he wrote for um, On the Incarnation by St. Athanasius, um, he talks about the importance of reading old books. And um, I'm, I'm not, I can't quote him directly, but by the way, uh, for anyone listening, if you, if you buy a copy of On the Incarnation, make sure that you get the one With that Lewis. has the introduction by C.S. Lewis because <laughs> you're basically getting a free book. It's like a bonus book in there and it's just fantastic. But Do you know who published um, that one? Uh, I don't. Okay. Um, I, I think, uh, I think it's from the patristic classic set. So, uh, it's like St. Vladimir's seminary or something. Um, love that. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sorry. Butchered that endorsement. Didn't I? Um, <laughs> so but, look for St. Vladis. Yeah, I think so. Um, and in there he, he talks about, we should read old books because when we read old books, it exposes ways of thinking that we did not know we had. So it, when we read um, uh, the, anything from church fathers to you know, classic works of literature, we're, we're reading the way that they thought. And it seems so strange to us and foreign to us because we're products of our culture. As much as as Christians, we, we don't like to admit that we're products of the Enlightenment. You know, we're products of modernity. We're products of post-modernity, of post-humanism, um, you know, and we don't, and, and it's in ways that we don't even realize, because if we did realize it, we probably would have, hopefully we would have repented of it, you know, and sure. um, asked the Lord to, to change our, our thinking, change our hearts. Um, but we don't even realize it. You know, we're thinking in, in ways that um, we're sometimes unaware of. And so reading these great books, um, even ones written by non-Christians, can, can bring up things that we're, that we're not aware of. I mean, that's one benefit of them. Um, and, you know, there are times that, that reading it gives you anti-types too, yeah, right? So right. it's not just the models of virtue and goodness and, and truth and beauty. I mean, sometimes it's, wow, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. You know? um, <laughs> Cautionary tales. Yeah, yeah, and and I think we need both. I mean, Scripture gives us both, right? Right. Um, so, yeah, they are they're important, um, and not not just for students. I mean, we never reach a point where we go, yeah, I've got enough wisdom, or I have enough virtue, I'm good. So, all the types we can get. It does seem that human beings uh, remain ultimately always defeated with in the perspective game. It is it is a, a difficult thing to achieve perspective yeah especially on ourselves oh absolutely absolutely it's it's when it comes to other people's sins i've got like 2010 <laughs> vision yeah you know? right when it comes when it comes to mine i need binoculars yeah and i think lewis said is it there that he talks about having lived a thousand lives you know what other how what other opportunity yeah. would he've had to live a thousand lives but through the reading of old books yeah yeah and it, it's something like uh, i've become a thousand men and yes yes remain myself that, that's uh, it gives when windows to the soul and yeah you know yeah, it's, it's very true it's interesting too as we were talking about in terms of uh whether it's pastors being in classical education or being a student of classical education as a student or an adult um you also find how um how deep the bible goes in terms of application and where it applies and how it would apply you know if i have two thousand years plus you know six thousand years of history to 
try to integrate towards uh, scripture, you know, the Bible just seems like this endless, vast. You can never exhaust it. Yeah. I mean, you just can't. Um, I mean, I, I tell tell my students, um, and I've said it often in, in different talks, you know, conference talks and things that, um, I mean, classic literature will reward you with each um, each return to it. Yep. You know, you can, uh, a really great book you can come back to again and again, and, and it'll reward you. You'll learn things and notice things and so on, but... We should um, just put a Lewis but, essay but, on repeat here. You know, I think maybe we just yeah, walk out and yeah. let Lewis finish this out. <laughs> um, but but scripture, uh, <laughs> I mean, so much more so, right? Right. Um, so I I I like to think of, um, and I I mean I hope it's not irreverent to put it this way, but I I think that uh, great stories great books are kind of like echoes of scripture um, in that um, they give you a window um, and, and sometimes a mirror. Right. Um, and, and sometimes you don't see that reflection or see that, that image clearly. So you come back to it again and again, but, um, but the scripture is always doing that. You know, the stories are just kind of an echo of what scripture always does. Right. Um, you know, and, um, and where stories can do it imperfectly and in a cloudy way, you know, still valuable, but in an imperfect and limited way, scripture does it perfectly. Right. Um, and I think James says that explicitly in terms of, you know, being, uh, looking into the mirror and forgetting who you are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are very forgetful people, so we need all the reminders we can get. It's a tough deal being a human, you know? <laughs> It is. Yeah. Humans are the worst. <laughs> yeah. <They are. laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So how about this? So with Cersei, there's tons of resources. Check them out, whether it's their webinar. Yeah. Uh, highly recommend anything that my friend Brian teaches. That's the last one I'm going to compliment. I'm going to give you, but anything he's doing, <laughs> highly recommend. We mentioned a few of the books you're doing, especially Canon Classics Guide to Meditations of Marcus Aurelius. Uh, we're, we're getting ready to kind of help rebrand and relaunch the classics. Um, but what would you say, like outside of secondary material, even though both of us are involved with curating that, mm-hmm. what, if somebody just were utterly convicted by this conversation, which I imagine the masses are, what, what is, <laughs> what is the first classic you would send somebody to just raw? Oh, so, Man, that's a tough one because it, it, I guess it depends on their on their background. You know, have they, what have they read and where are they coming from kind of thing. I mean, um, give me some help. What if it picture. was, what if, what if you just found, <laughs> I'll see if this one helps. What if, what if you and, what if you and I were at a grocery store and we stumbled upon, let's say a Brian Cole type figure. Oh man! So we're talking okay. really lost, you know. Really, yeah, yeah. you know, doesn't know up or down. Um, In need of a real Damascus road. Yeah, kinda. where would you? Let's just say somebody that. Uh, let's just say a general public school person. Um, yeah. And it's just like, wow, maybe I should start considering the classics in hmm. integrating that into my Christian discipleship life. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I think I would, I would recommend in that particular case, um, I don't know if it's considered a classic of literature, but it's definitely for classical educators, 
a classic. I would recommend reading The Abolition of Man. Okay. Um, reading by Lewis. Um, yeah, C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I recommend that to anyone who will listen. Totally. Um, and um, the Dante's Inferno, um, the whole Divine Comedy, of course, just fantastic. But you got to start in hell. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I mean that's <laughs> um, right. So I mean those are those are wonderful, but um, I think um, uh, I, I'm trying to remember trying to remember who who first said it, but um, I've heard it said that uh, Western philosophy is just a series of uh, astonished encounters with Plato. But then it, I, I think you could say the same about the works of Homer, the Iliad and the mm -hmm. Odyssey. You know, a lot the canon of Western literature is just kind of a series of astonished encounters with Homer. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I, th I think that there's a lot of truth to that too. So um, the Iliad and the Odyssey are just fantastic as well. You know, um, my Western literature class at Belmont Abbey, I like to uh, tie a lot of those hero stories together and then compare them. Okay. Um, the, the Iliad, the Odyssey, the Aeneid, and then uh, Beowulf. Nice. Um, You're teaching you know, you Beowulf, Beowulf right now, and, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we just finished up this morning in class actually. Um, and, um, seeing that kind of progression of, you know, what a hero looks like. And, um, but anyway, that's, that's beyond what your question was. No, that's awesome. Those are, those are a few I would recommend. That's awesome. And, you know, anybody that eventually gets into the pool will learn, you know, if you go back and read what you were mentioning, even just, um, the, uh, the Iliad, Odyssey, Aeneid, and then you come to Dante, it's like a whole reunion of Greek mm -hmm. heroes and non-heroes and harpies. And you're like, wow, the gang's all back together, but in Italy. Yep, um, yep, yep. So it, and, it definitely has a flow to it. not everyone's a hero in Dante. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. So uh, perfect. Well, Brian, thank you for taking the time, man. I really appreciate you got me out of a, out of a snafu here on this side of the world, so... All right. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. You are the host of the Commons podcast, and you will soon have uh, our very own Dr. Gordon Wilson on. That's the plan. Perfect. Yeah, we'll work that out. To that. Sweet. Well, everybody, go check out all of that. Is there anything coming up that you want to point folks to? Are you uh, your magnum opus on the way, or anything like that? Mm. Well, <laughs> no, I don't know about that. I I will say that. Um, we kind of you kind of mentioned it in passing um tales of wonder yes uh, for for any listeners out there uh and i love what canon is doing especially through cannonball um uh, uh the kids books now um my kids love them it's fantastic stuff but given who your audience might be if totally. you got young children check out tales of wonder we've got two volumes of that available now it's basically uh, in each one, there's eight of the classic fairy tales, not the redone, watered down Disney-esque <laughs> version of the fairy tales, the real fairy tales. And then questions for you to, to ask, you know, to start conversations with as you're reading them to your kids or to your students. Um, and uh, a lot of tie-ins with scripture and how you can see that. Uh, what those fairy tales are doing. So it's a great resource for, for homeschoolers or anyone with young kids or um, anyone teaching young kids. So I just want to throw that out there. Tales of Wonder, and get, where can they get that? Uh, that Go to CerseInstitute.com. Okay, perfect. Yep, or, 
or .org, either one, and check them out in our bookstore. Sweet. All right, Brian. Thanks so much, man. Thanks, Jake. Take care.